Good morning, everyone. Good morning. You guys can do so much better than that. Good morning. Good morning. There you go. Gary's got it. Awesome. Well, my name is James Greaves, and uh, if I know what you're all thinking, and it's no, Jared did not get a lot uglier. <laughs> so Jared and the guys are out this week um, at a men's retreat, and it seems that they've taken quite literally all the men with him, except, except my man Gary over here, and, and my brother over here in the back. Um, so it was... A real privilege when, when Jared called me and asked me if I could come preach. I mean, he, he called me up and he was like, hey man, you know, we're going to be on this retreat. And, uh, and I was wondering if you could come preach. And he didn't get the word preach out of his mouth. I was like, I'll be there. I'm, I'm there, man. So I'm so excited because I have not got the opportunity yet to be here at Fellowship Oshawa on a Sunday morning. Um, and it's a bummer because I wanted to come so bad, you know, but... Um, but I go to Fellowship Pickering, if you guys haven't heard of that, um, out in Pickering. So if you don't know, um, Fellowship Oshawa is part of a much larger church planting network. Um, so we plant churches all over the eastern part of the GTA. And so it's a growing network. And um, we've planted one in uh, Pickering, Scarborough, Oshawa. And uh, that's where I come in. And that's my job. So my job is very similar to, uh, to Pastor Jared and, and what Jen do here. And, uh, but we're doing the same thing you guys do right here, but we're trying to get one started out in Bowmanville. So if you guys know anybody in Bowmanville who's looking for a church, hit me up. That's my shameless plug of the day. But, um, but no, honestly, I'm, uh, I'm really, really excited um, to come and be here with you guys this morning because as somebody who has been on the outside and got to look in at seeing this church grow and uh, r really from its inception, you know, I met Jared and Jen when they first moved up here and, you know, they were so excited to start this church and it was just so cool to see, you know, the beginning stages of, you know, meeting in the house and then and now coming and meeting publicly here. So it, it is a huge, huge privilege for me to be uh, standing here and looking at you all today. Um, and so thank you for being here. And um, I just want to let you guys know that uh, you guys have some amazing, amazing folks here, honestly. Um, you know, there's one thing that God needs to move in any given community, in every given town, and that is just willing vessels. That is just people willing to sell themselves out and say, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I need to do uh, to get God's work done. And, uh, and I can tell you just from the, those of you who I know this morning, and I'm sure others as well, but you guys have got some sold out people here. And, uh, and, and myself, and I speak for, uh, for everybody else at all of our other churches, that we're just so proud of you guys. And, uh, and I know Jared would, uh, would probably not say this because he's too humble, but, uh, but you guys have some awesome leadership and just awesome attenders. Like, just the stories that I've heard since being here have been absolutely incredible. So I just wanted to encourage you guys with that here this morning before I said anything else at all. Um, but there is something that I want to talk to you guys here about this morning. Um, and that is... Um, a scripture that I wish that I had looked at early on in my Christian walk, um, and one that I really didn't until I was much, much later on that I read this scripture, and it's one that's found in, in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. So if you brought your Bibles this morning, awesome, you can go turn ahead, go ahead and turn. If not, no worries, it'll be up on the screen in a minute. Uh, but first, let me give you some background, a little bit of context on what's going on here. So Jesus, at this point in time in his ministry, he hadn't been in the public eye all that long. He hadn't been, you know, under the same level of scrutiny that he would come under later on. But he had spent some time in uh, the lands of, of Canaan and Jordan, and he'd spent about a year there ministering and performing miracles and that kind of stuff. I'm sure you guys have heard the, some of these stories, like uh, he was baptized in the, in the river from John the Baptist, if you remember that one, and he turned water to wine. 
at, uh, at the wedding. I'm sure you guys remember that story. And uh, so he started to get a little bit of reputation going, right? Because people are starting to hear these things that he's doing and, and all these miracles he's performing. And so they're like, yeah, this guy sounds like the Messiah, right? Because he was prophesied for, for years and years and years prior in the Old Testament. So people were pretty excited about him. But like I said, it was still very, very early on in his ministry. So catching up with Jesus today, this is after he's performed those miracles and he's begun to get recognized. And uh, he decides to head back to his hometown of Nazareth. So this whole time he's been out traveling in, in, in somewhat distant lands. And uh, he decides to come back to where he's originally from. He spent the first 30 years of his life in this town. So you can imagine that this is where his, his mother lives. This is where his, his childhood friends live. This is where, you know, extended family, I'm sure, all live. So you'd expect it to be like this big homecoming, right? Like, like in the movies you see, you know, somebody goes away, goes somewhere else and gets famous or gets rich or, um, you know, like wins the Super Bowl, right? And then they come back to their hometown, this big heartwarming reunion. Everybody's like, you know, lift them up on their shoulders and like, yeah, they're all excited. Well, if you know this story and you know how it ends, you know that that's not exactly how it turned out in the end for Jesus. And... Um, we're going to pick up in verse 14, and it says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor had come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then as he began to speak to them, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everybody spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that have come from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't, is this not Joseph's, the carpenter's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum, one of the towns he spent earlier time in. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Certainly there will be needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent for any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but only one of them was healed, which was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of a hill and where the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. So like I said, it's not exactly the, the homecoming that you would expect from a bunch of people who thought they had the Messiah, the, you know, the savior of the world in their midst. But remember how I said that this is a passage that I wish I had have studied in my earlier days on my Christian walk. Um, honestly, I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk. Um, but I can tell you a little bit about mine um, and why this text is so applicable, not only to my life, but I think all of our lives. That is, I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in, in church. Um, I didn't become a Christ follower until I was, I was a grown man. You know, it really hasn't been that long. Um, 
And I don't know if you see it or not, but when I look at this, this story, it just screams action to me. It's, it, it says that you need to do something with this. This isn't just a story to be read. You know, it's not just a, a historical account. But you need to look at this and, and do something with it. And uh, you might be asking, well, what do I have to do with this? Because the people in my hometown have never tried to throw me off a cliff. Not yet. But me neither. But when we look at Jesus' actions here, what happened and how did he deal with it? What did he do? And that's what I think we need to look at and what we need to try and emulate going forward. So the first thing that I want to talk about is Jesus declared truth despite what people wanted to hear. So you can imagine, as he's coming into town, you know, people are praising him. The Bible says that all spoke well of him. And I mean, if the Bible says that all spoke well of you, like, literally everybody spoke well of you. They were, they were really, really pumped about Jesus and, uh, and him coming because, like I said, he'd perform all these crazy miracles and they heard he was doing all these great things. So they thought he was like, the, he, they, you know, believed he was the Messiah. So they're excited about that. That's like legitimate celebritum, right? And this is probably like the place to be in Nazareth that particular day. But... There's something that you got to understand about, uh, about the Jews at this particular point in time and their impression of who the Messiah was. So we look at Jesus, and yeah, we call him the Messiah now and understand who he is to come, you know, redeem us of our sins. We, we understand that, but the Jews at the time, they, they didn't. They had a much, much different impression of who the Messiah was. See, God had a very unique, unique relationship with the nation of Israel. And, uh, and the Jews of this time. So he waged wars on their behalf. He fought for them. He spoke to them. He had an intimate relationship with them. He described them as his chosen people. And so they thought that when the Messiah was to come, that he was just going to come and slay Israel's enemies. Like he was just going to come and completely decimate everybody who stood against them. And that he was going to elevate the Jewish people above everybody else, and that they would rule a great earthly kingdom. See, they were the heroes of their own story. And as we come to know who Jesus is, that's not really his character. But that was what they thought Jesus was arriving in their town to tell them. And if you know that, how that story ends, that's not at all what happened. And it's not what Jesus came for at all. He came to establish a great kingdom, yes, like I said. And he came to give sight to the blind, yes. He came to do great works, yes, that is all true. And he did come to elevate God's people. That is also true. And as he puts it in verse 19, when he quotes Isaiah's prophecy, he says, but the time of the Lord's favor has come, or, or in other words, that the time had come for God to show favor to his people. But see, what the Jews of that time didn't realize was that those people weren't them. Not in their current state anyway. Because the Jews had become self-righteous. They had become angry. They had become a little entitled. They thought that they didn't have to turn to God. They had turned away from the ways in which God had taught them in the Old Testament. They had turned away from the law. And that's what Jesus was telling them when he reminded them in verse 26 and 27 that in one particular instance in the Old Testament, when God didn't come back for the Israelites, he actually came for, for two Gentiles, 
which would have been seen as wholly offensive, like unbelievably offensive in that particular point in time, to say to uh, a member of the Israelites or, or, or the, the Jewish people of that time that they were no better than a Gentile or, or a non-Jew. And so that is what just enraged them because he was completely just tearing apart their concept of what the Messiah came back to do. And of course, Jesus knew how they would react. I mean, he's God. He knows everything, right? He knew that they were going to react horribly. And you know, you might be asking me, James, but you said that this was all about action, but really you're just telling me about all the problems that the Israelites have and how they kind of sucked at this point in time. So, so what are we supposed to do with this? Well, I will tell you that a lot of things have changed since Jesus walked the earth. A lot of things have changed since this book was written. But there's a lot of things that haven't changed. And one of the things that hasn't changed is that there is a lot of untruth in the world. There's a lot of times where people would rather believe a lie if it is comfortable as opposed to believe the truth if it is hard to swallow. We see that all throughout our society, do we not? Just all over the place. People want to be lied to so that they can feel okay without recognizing the reality that's going on around them sometimes. And I mean, sometimes we're guilty of it ourselves. I'm not going to lie. I've, I've been there. I've been that person who wants to believe a lie instead of actually face my problems. But it's just like the Jews in this, in this story, right? That they would rather believe that they were still in good standing with God as opposed to believe that the Messiah didn't actually come for them but actually came for people who they thought were unclean and, and lesser than them. And despite all of their self-righteousness and sin, they thought that they were still the chosen people of God. And many of us would rather think that instead of believing in Christ, that we can actually forego that and think that we're still in good standing with God. We don't have to believe in Christ. Many of us would rather believe that because Jesus is hard. Like, believing in Jesus can be hard at times. Following him can be hard at times. I'm sure we've, any of us in this room right now who follow Jesus, we've all experienced that at some point in time. And if you haven't, get ready, you will. <laughs> I promise you. But it, that's okay. And so there are people out there who believe that we're completely crazy for believing in this book. And I understand that. They think that we're completely wrong in the things we believe, that we are completely mistaken, and they just believe completely different things. And I'm not saying that that's, that's not okay. That's, that, that is okay. We still love these people, of course. You know, we still, we still love them. We want to show the love of Jesus to the entire world. Of course, absolutely. God calls us to do that. That's a good thing. We don't want to just show love to our camp, you know, those in our own immediate circle, right? But sometimes it can feel like we are the only ones who believe in anything this book says at times. Can it not? But sometimes we, believe, we think that we're on, out on this island like we're all alone. Um, I don't know about you, but when I first became a believer, I felt like a total outcast amongst my friends. Uh, honestly, in, in my friends, my family, everybody, I felt like I was completely alone because now I had this thing where I was living my life in a completely different way from everybody else. And 
it hurt my relationships. It really did. It, it broke them sometimes. So, you know, I lost a lot of friends when I became a Christian. I'll tell you that honestly. Um, a really, really good percentage of my friends didn't want anything to do with me anymore. Uh, not all at once, but, but, but over time. And I mean, some of you have probably experienced the same thing, quite honestly. But, but that's okay. But I'll tell you, nobody in the history of ever, of ever, understands the feeling of being hurt by those whom you love the most, more than Jesus does. See, as we're becoming believers and as we're growing with God, we might have relationships that God takes away from us or, or people who sever relationships with us because of our beliefs. That's one thing. And that hurts, of course, because we love these people. But, but Jesus has had it so much worse, has he not? Jesus was slandered, he was hated, and he was ultimately killed by the people whom he loved the most, right? Like Jesus was a Jew himself, and he was crucified by the Jews. The people who he'd, who he'd come for, you know, who he loved, who he was one of. But this leads us to our second point, is that Jesus withstood the consequences of declaring truth. He withstood the consequences of saying the things that had to be said because they were true. Because he would, not, he would not lie to people to make them comfortable. See, like we said earlier, Jesus knew in this passage that the Jews would react terribly to what he said. They knew that he would be persecuted for it. The persecution in this case looking like them trying to throw him off a cliff, right? Which hasn't happened to me, but persecution can take many forms. Many, many, many forms. I mean, it can come from, from really from anywhere. And most of the times when we think of persecution, we think of legal persecution, right? Like that's always the word that, that comes to mind. You know, like we're going to be, you know, having the free speech police come and, you know, lock us up and throw, in the, throw us in the gulag for, 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 you know, for saying something. That's persecution, right? Um, well, we're lucky to live in a place like Canada that we don't have to worry about anything like that. We've been really lucky like that so far, haven't we? And let's pray that it stays that way. Let's pray that it stays that way forever. Because uh, there are some places in the world where that's not the case. Um, but it can come in many different forms. Like I said, it can come from individuals. It can come from your friends. It can even come from your family. Persecution can really just be summed up by the negative effects that you feel for standing up for Jesus. In, in the purest sense of, uh, of the word. It can even come from your family or strangers on the street. Um, but honestly, did you know that the Bible says that persecution is a good thing. It's crazy, right? But it actually says that we're blessed. If we take on persecution, if we have negative effects happen in our lives as a result of standing for Jesus, that we're actually blessed by that. That's, that is actually a good thing. The best example of that is found in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14. It says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And you'll notice in the first line of that passage, it doesn't say if the trials come. It says when the trials come. This is God telling us that if you follow Jesus, things will at times get hard. Jesus knows that. God knows that. From the beginning of time, he knew that we would have trials in our lives come about because we choose to follow Christ. But that's okay because Jesus is actually glorified by us being faithful to him in those times. 
And so now I know you might be a little concerned and a little taken aback and think, okay, so you're telling me that I choose to follow Jesus, so what does that mean? You're basically telling me that my life is going to suck no matter what. Well, that's not entirely true. That's not entirely the case. Obviously, Christ gave us a great abundant life. We know that. Um, but at times, it's going to feel like it, it, it might suck a little bit. And you might think, well, I'm, I don't know if I can do that. I don't think I'm strong enough to take on, you know, this, this persecution that you're talking about. I don't know if I'm strong enough to do that on my own that, you know, you're telling me people are going to break relationships with me because of this. You know, how can I take that? How can I, how can I accept that? You know, that's, that sounds really, really, really hard. And it is. It is. I'm not going to lie to you. But the good news right now is that you don't have to do it on your own. And that's truly the beautiful part. Because this is going to lead us to our third point, And that is that Jesus sought refuge in the Father and the church. So when Jesus was under his worst times of persecution, I mean, when he was under the absolute worst scrutiny, what do we see him do in Scripture? We see him going away from everybody else. He gets quiet into a quiet place and he prays. He prays fervently. He prays earnestly. He prays faithfully. And this is, this is Jesus we're talking about. This is God himself incarnate in the flesh. And he still goes and he still prays to the Father to give him strength. Sometimes even just praising God for his faithfulness, but that's all he's got to do. The most particularly powerful example of this is found in Luke 22, verses 41 to 44. And this takes place right after Judas was betrayed by one of his disciples. Or, sorry, Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Don't want to get you confused there. Judas wasn't betrayed by Jesus. Who was one of his disciples, one of his best friends. He spent three years with his disciples, traveling all over the place, and one of them betrayed him. And this is right before he was sentenced to be crucified. And it says, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So we can see even Jesus, even him, him he himself, he came under this, this, this stress and this tension. And even he prayed for strength. Even he asked the Father for help. So we can take, we can take Jesus at his word here and say that we should be doing the same thing. If things seem hard, pray about it. If things are getting bad, pray about it. If things are going good, pray about it. See, prayer is essential. Prayer is truly, truly foundational to the Christian life in all aspects because it's something that Jesus even himself took so seriously, right? But it's not the only thing that we do. It's not the only thing that we have to do when we come under some trials and tribulations because prayer, like I said, is a good thing. You know, prayer gets us in communion with the Father. It makes us feel better. It makes me feel so much better when I'm able to just get alone and pray about something that's going on in my life. But it doesn't meet our physical needs sometimes because we have a need for other people. Whether we wanted to admit it or not, sometimes we just need other people around us. We need to share our burdens with other people, right? It doesn't meet our needs for physical support, so how do we do that? Because if we're left out to hung to dry on our own, we're surely going to fail. But that is why God created this right here. I mean, honestly, this is why God created this right here. The answer to the question is, how do I withstand these things? 
the answer to that question can be found in the seat right next to you. After Jesus prayed to the Father, He always went back to His disciples. Every time. Who were at the time equivalent to the church. They were His, they were his church family. That's all He had as He was out traveling. They were essentially the same as the church is right here, right now. They were even closer to Him than His mother or His biological brothers. An example of this is found in Matthew 12, verses 46 to 49. As Jesus is speaking to a large crowd and someone comes to tell him that his mother and his brother are outside and wanting to speak to him, he actually replies and says, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, Look, these are my mothers and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So this solidifies the fact that the church... This is not a club. This is not a gathering of like-minded people. This is a family. This is a family whose bonds transcend space and time as a whole. Because these are the people that you are going to spend an eternity with. We're on this earth for only a short period of time on the whole spectrum. We spend eternity in heaven after this. And these are the faces that you are going to see while you're there. So use each other now. Love each other now. Get close. Commune with each other. Love each other wholly, purely, and intently. With purest of intentions, right now. Share each other's burdens. Because we want to do that not just to escape the world's hardships, not just to fill our own needs, but because God is glorified when the church is unified. And He is glorified when we are loving each other the way that He has called us to love each other. And then we can love the world. So, I'm going to wrap this up, and before I close today, um, and I'll try to be brief, because I think I might be running long, I'm not sure. But... Uh, as I was preparing this message this week, um, I just couldn't get this off my, off my heart. I think God was really, really putting it there for a reason. Um, that somebody here today is going to be struggling with something like this where, you know, maybe it's somewhere where you found yourself wanting to follow Jesus. You're, you may be curious, you maybe believe in Him, and you want to follow Him, but you find that it's costing you. You find that it's costing you something big. It's costing you in your, in your relationships. Maybe people are starting to think differently of you because you've come, you start coming to this church and, you know, you're hanging out with all these religious people now and, you know, they're, they're like, what happened to that guy, you know? Or girl, most likely girl in this scenario. <laughs> but it's costing you and you don't know what to do with it because that's uncomfortable, right? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants people to think less of them because of what they believe. We all want to be loved. Well, I just really want to tell you this morning because, like I said, I, I've, I've, I've traveled that road. I've been there, honestly. And Jesus knows. Jesus knows what you're going through. He sees every single moment of it. And he honors that. Because, like I said, God is glorified when we come under these types of things and we endure negative effects that cost us when it comes to following him. So he is not going to leave you alone. He is not going to hang you out to dry. He is not going to leave you separate to do your own thing forever. 
He is going to be with you every step of the way. And he is going to put people around you like he has right now who are going to share in this burden with you. They're going to pick you up when you fall. They're going to love you when you seemingly are unlovable. And like they're going to love you when it seems like nobody else in the world will. And I can promise you, I can promise you more than I can ever promise anything else in my life that Jesus is worth every single second of discomfort that you're feeling right now. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> uh, so I just want you guys to know that here this morning. Because like I said, I feel like God is really, really speaking to me about that. And that, that's an issue that a lot of us face in our early days of, of this walk. So as we enter into our discussion time, I just like us to get a little personal. Now, I don't know how personal you guys usually get in this time, but I felt like, you know what, it's my first time here, so we're going to get a little personal. So I would like to talk about um, if you've ever experienced a time where in your life you have felt like somebody has changed or even severed a relationship with you because of what you believe. And I'd also like us to talk about how in the past have you been able to lean on your church family during a hard time? I mean, I know that's probably for the people who have been following Jesus maybe a little longer. Um, and then also for everybody, what is a way that you guys think that the church can help people who are hurting in the future? I think that's really important to know. What do we think about that? So if you guys will go ahead and, and maybe discuss that in your groups. And uh, I just want to thank you guys so much for having me up here. Because like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm truly, truly blessed to be, uh, to be able to be a part of this, this church and see you guys. It's awesome. But thank you very much.